And I was like the third person to go up for my first dunk. And I throw a lob, which is like a bounce. And then you catch it and dunk it. And I was just going to do a casual jump, one-handed dunk. I do it all the time. It would have been nice and impressive. My head would have been up near the rim and whatever. I throw this lob. I go and approach. I plant to jump. And it's like from the hips down, I turn into a baby giraffe. My legs like just completely crumbled. I didn't go off the ground. I grabbed the ball. I played it off because I'm also a goof and barely good at working a crowd. I do a layup and everybody Everybody laughs. International international dunk competition. (laughs) It's like finger roll. Tyler Ray, jump guy, Ty, one of the world's leading experts in vertical jump training. The founder, co-owner, and coach, Project Pure Athlete. First, how are you doing today? And tell me something good that's going on in your life. Oh, man. First of all, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm doing very well. It's not often that I have a day that I'm not at least finding something within that day that's going well for myself or positive. Uh, but what's going well right now? Listen, I have a, a two-and-a-half-year-old that uh, I absolutely have to preserve and create as much energy for. And I feel like he does everything for me in terms of allowing me to, to have very energetic and productive days. So what's going well for me is I have a beautiful, healthy, happy family, man. Fantastic. Well, you definitely do not look like a zombie. So I know uh, some, 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 some colleagues with younger kids sleep is a, a scarce resource. So I appreciate you hopping on good vibes, good energy so far. So Tyler sure. has experience as a collegiate athlete, a track and field athlete for Team Canada, as a mm-hmm. professional dunker, professional volleyball player turned entrepreneur, business owner, and everything that that comes with. So selfishly, I'm a little bit excited as I'm trying to figure out my career, my journey. And I love having kind of multiple um, plates in the air. I'm coaching, I'm making my content, I'm trying to consult on the side. So selfishly, I'm excited to get a little bit away from typical content that Tyler speaks on, the vertical jump stuff, obviously his bread and butter, but step back behind the scenes, peek behind the curtain, a little bit more about him, his Mm -hmm. stories, his journeys, and just the path that has led him to his current life. So we're on the Talk Shop Podcast. I'm always like, I have to, I guess, say that, but they're also listening to us. So they sit on the screen, <laughs> I feel uh, you. sharing stories, lessons, experiences, sports performance, and professional development. So this fits the bill for sure. So let's give a little sneak peek. I have a lot of questions I sent you. I just kept, hmm. more things kept popping up. Um, let's uh, tease the listener. How, how, how uh, excited are, are you for these questions? Man, as we were just talking about, it's really refreshing to be able to hop onto a podcast and not necessarily have the entire framework of that of that chat be about you know the specifics of vertical jump training. That being said, there's a time and a place, and I love talking about jump training and specifically my area of expertise, which is vertical jump technique. Uh, but it is always nice to be able to reflect back gain big perspective and kind of celebrate the moments that have led me to where I'm at right now. And specifically moments where I get to jump on podcasts and meet new people and, and new friends. So I appreciate that being on here, but um, yeah, I'm excited for this one, man. This is going to be fun. And uh, anytime let's just fire away. Let's get into this. Let's get to the meat and potatoes. All right. Fantastic. So first question, I just called it magic box question. So get the, 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 the juices flowing. So <laughs> Think about this kind of like adult show and tell. You have a magic box in front of you and you can pull anything out of it, whether it's upstairs in your living room from your childhood that you haven't seen in 20 years. Mm-hmm. It could be sentimental, funny, 
whatever it is, just an object, you know, show that the camera and the imaginary listener, what object you decide to pull out a Mary Poppins bag and just <laughs> whatever comes to your mind, whether it's, it's sentimental, funny or anything, just adult show and tell. So this is something, do you want something that is like quite old as part of my history or something that it doesn't really matter where it falls along the chronology? Anywhere. On Anywhere? The chronology. Yep. Okay. I'm going to actually physically show it to you oh, right now. Oh, okay. It's like, yeah, yeah. okay, you ready? For okay. sure. Okay. So, um, it, okay. There's a, it's a basketball, like, oh, but, but okay. So I don't know if you can see this, but this, this says jukebox and, jukebox. um, you mentioned professional dunker and my, my dunk show name was jukebox. And for probably the younger listeners on here, a jukebox for some context, <laughs> this magical implement that used to be inside bars where people could put coins inside and pick songs and it would play songs by request. And every time I would go out and play basketball, uh, my buddy would say, it's like, it turns into people just requesting dunks from you because they just want to see you jump. Right. So it was like, people were putting money in the dunk jukebox I like that. and it was such a, a, a cool take on a dunk name because everybody at that point was like air this and yeah. flight this. And it's like, ah, oh, it was kind of <laughs> cheesy. And I wanted something that was unique to myself. So this ball specifically obviously has my name on it was one of the very first kind of competition dunk balls that I traveled around the world with this ball. And this ball has been dunked, um, in, in multiple countries, in multiple basketball nets, and is sitting right now kind of in my, in my new gym, but is going to be really uh, soon put into a case that will be up in my, yeah. uh, in my office. So this kind of reminds me a lot of, of what the sport of dunking has provided me. And I'm sure that we'll dive a little bit more into that um, yeah, yeah. throughout the rest of the podcast. So this was kind of unique that I had it right by me, but if I could pull something out of the magic box, well, it's gonna be the magic ball. How, how important is the actual ball, like to where you literally took it around the world versus just, I would assume a dunk event would have basketballs. They, they would. Uh, many dunk events would allow you, as long as obviously the ball was a regulation size, they didn't really care what the ball was, unless it was a sponsored event, say by FIBA or, mm. or something along those lines where you had to dunk with their basketball. But in a lot of cases, you could dunk with whatever ball that you needed to. And a lot of times what would happen is people, for some reason, other professional dunkers loved this basketball and would ask me if I had it with me when I went. Oh. And it's nothing special. Listen, it's a, it's a Wilson Evolution basketball, but for some reason the, I had it, I had it perfectly calibrated. Okay. Like this is, we're going to get deep. It's, I had it, you know, the air inside was just right to be able to provide enough bounce, but not too much air that it would rattle out of the rim and be too hard. It's got a good grip. It's got deeper grooves, but not too deep. It was honestly, this ball, I feel like was manufactured for the one single purpose of being dunked by me and my friends. So it the ball itself is very important because it gives me a lot of uh, kind of nostalgic moments about times I've shared uh, with my with my friends and all over the place. So yeah, I feel, I feel like that's your, your your next business venture is manufacturing these dunk specific <laughs> dunk basketballs. Ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So you knocked that question out of the park. First time I've ever asked it on TSP. So you definitely set the bar very high. All right. Well, I saw it on the page and, and it said, don't worry about this question was in brackets. And I go, okay, let me just try not to worry about that. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. So next we'll get into the, the main, main questions. So more, we'll start background, kind of set the scene and then kind of chronological. That was kind of the, the game sure. plan. So for those of you who are not familiar with PPA, Project Pure Athlete, your business, mm -hmm. give us the, the quick sales pitch, elevator pitch. 
Yeah, listen, Project Pure Athlete is kind of my brainchild from over the years, a uh, combination of experiential learning and obviously my background in, in human performance. Uh, tried to create a, a company that was able to serve the, the kind of uh, speed and power sport community, but specializes in vertical jump training. So what we've become kind of globally and well known for is popularizing um, our methods of vertical jump technique to be able to help athletes jump higher, faster than any other method, which is really just optimizing people's ability to learn the skill of jumping versus kind of the historical approach to jump training, which is, you know, more force equals more height. And one thing I say is absolutely it will more force equals more height until it doesn't anymore. And then we have to examine the vehicle that is um, really responsible for the jumping, which is the body, the mechanics, and really the behaviors that they exhibit. So um, yeah, Project Pure Athlete is all things jumping. And the goal is to really create pure athletes that encompass a 360 degree approach. And it doesn't hurt to have a massive vertical as well. So Fantastic. PPA is taking a uh, coach worldwide. So I'm, I'm excited to get into that later, <laughs> but next project pure athlete, admittedly having my, my own podcast name and da 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 project pure athlete just like sticks out. It's quite mm. a unique name. So like, where did that come from? Yeah, this is a, this is kind of a cool story. So it's actually an iteration off of an old uh, name that I had for my very first jump program that I released on the internet back in uh, 2006. Um, so I've been, I've been on the, the internet since its conception, really since YouTube started to be a thing, I, I had a bit of a following from the professional dunk world and people would start to ask me, you know, like, what are you doing to be able to jump higher? So I compiled at that point, uh, an approach, uh, that I took to be able to amplify my own vertical packaged it and named it project vertical and project vertical was actually, um, given to me by, the same guy that came up with the name jukebox. He's very hey. creative and clever. He goes, listen, yeah, very uh, important in, in your journey. Right. Very critical part of, of kind of the, the creative aspect and backstory of project pure athletes. So he said, listen, like I was in school at the time. And for me, a project was something that was invested in, in school. You do a project, you're invested in it. It's a, it's a large period of time. There are multiple things that go into kind of finalizing a really good project and project vertical at that point was obviously, you know, that's what I did was jump training that became, then became the name of my dunk team. We used to do halftime shows and kids camps. So we were project vertical dunk team. And it got to the point where I felt like project vertical from a local business standpoint was pigeonholing me just a little bit more than I wanted to be. People mm -hmm. already knew me as the jump guy, right? If someone wanted to get their vertical up, they go, oh, there's Tyler. He's that jump guy. He does all the jump stuff. And, and that's kind of where the jump guy came from. But project pure athlete was, I was really trying to understand what separated myself as an athlete at the time. And it's that I, I finally figured out that it's really a well-rounded 360 degree approach to creating a complete athlete, right? We can, we can bias. This is the problem with, with a lot of jump programs as they bias the qualities of amplifying the vertical. So you can, your vertical goes up quick, but what happens is without bringing up the supporting qualities, the results aren't as sustainable. We get kind of caught in this fly trap loop of, of results, um, competition, injury, time off, yeah. time off results, and injury, and you just spin in that circle. You exactly know that, right? So with Project Pure Athlete, it was we need to really fill in the voids that allow us to be able to sustain the results that we achieve. So it was project was the root and the iteration of Project Vertical. And to me, it was pure athlete just sounded so appropriate and yeah. pure to me was that kind of 
full encompassed athlete. And then Project Pure Athlete was born and it was kind of this perfect little marriage of, of you know, name creation and exactly what I did for a living. So that's where it came from. Fantastic. I feel like everything should be called project based on that explanation because like Eric Cressy, uh, for the listeners who know who he is, he always says like his biggest regret was naming it Cressy Sports Performance. Right. Because everyone wants to train with Cressy at Cressy Sports Performance. And then next is like, as I'm trying to not pigeonhole myself, but like get a little bit more specific in my um, kind of like branding and, and what I do, we have a, a 1080 Sprint, which is one of a higher end speed development uh, piece of technology. And I was talking with my coworker uh, slash mentor about like, how do I do all this stuff? And it's like, well, if you become the 1080 guy, then that's the only problem that people think you can solve. Mm-hmm. So the whole branding and the name and the, and the perception that goes a lot farther than just like picking a name. So very intentional, but very, very natural and um, makes total sense to me. So last thing kind of about setting the, the stage for mm-hmm. our next questions is I'm sure there is no typical in an entrepreneur's life <laughs> going all around the world having a, a young, young kiddo at home, but a typical day, week in the life, because for the consumer on social media, YouTube, like, oh, this guy jumps and he coaches and da, da, da. But like, what all goes into making that happen in a typical day slash week? Yeah. I mean, that's a, it, it's definitely a, you know, a compounded question. There's a lot of variables at play there. Any business owner out there, and especially in the industry that we're in, um, understand that there's a huge learning curve to uh, operating and owning a, a business within the framework of kind of online and e-commerce, right? Like I'm not a trained business professional by any means, but it's a con- I've had to learn it as a consequence of, of opportunity and, and growth. So my day, my days consist of kind of wearing multiple hats as, as most people would assume, <clears throat> but the mass majority of my time at this point is spent kind of blended between, um, I have in-person athletes again in my new facility here. It's my private facility in my house. And so I, I see athletes kind of throughout the week constitutes maybe 15 to 18 hours of my week. And the um, other kind of big chunk is content creation uh, video. I do all my video editing. So I, that's another thing that I learned. What, uh, what software? Uh, so I use Final Cut Pro. Okay. Um, it's something that is, is user-friendly enough um, that allows me to get creative and not get overwhelmed by um, the functionality of it. Because it's something, you know, I'm not a trained video editor by any means or media person. So it's something that allows me to express what I need to express. For sure. Um, so that content creation, obviously managing all the social media that I do on my own. And then really the administrative backend. So on any given day, like I'm answering emails from for inquiries, we manage, um, uh, you know, a few hundred athletes through our, our um, online platform. So I'm responding to athlete inquiries every morning and then kind of just navigating my day as such. So you're just realistically trying to juggle all of the different variables that we can. I'm, we're still a very small operation in terms of the back end of the, of the business of Project Pure Athlete, but we have representatives of our, of our business kind of spread throughout the world, which is something that I'm sure we can touch on as well um, later in the podcast. But yeah, my day is, I think if anybody spent the day with me, um, sometimes they feel bored. Uh, other times they would be very interested in what I'm doing, especially when it comes from the content creation standpoint. I really enjoy being on camera and, and teaching. I think at the end of the day, my core passion is education versus athletics. I think athletics is the vehicle to express my core passion, which is being a, hopefully being a good teacher. Fantastic. Well, you are definitely a, a very good public speaker, I must say. Oh, thank as you. A, as, a, as a content creator myself, podcast host, videos, and, and, and everything. But 
I appreciate the, the, the candidness in your answer, obviously, because we're on a podcast, but <laughs> what, what people assume in like every up and coming coach is like, Oh, I'll wake up. I'll coach only pros all day long. And I'll go to bed. It's like, you just said it's only 15 to 18, 20 hours of your entire week is actually coaching. So how right. much really goes into that? And like being in the private side, it's mm-hmm. definitely, it's definitely unique, not like college or, or pro uh, performance slash S and C, but um, definitely a, a more kind of well-rounded slash just a, a good answer that I think can help kind of get the listeners around yep. really what, what it takes. Yeah. So to provide a little bit more context, right. Cause you know, hearing, Oh, this guy only coaches 15 or 18 hours a week. I spent decade over a decade, we'll call it in the trenches coaching and training 50 to 60 hours a week, you know, starting at five in the morning and finishing at nine or 10 at night. And it's something that really helped me sharpen my sword as a, as a trainer and an educator. And as the business of project pure athletes started to evolve and kind of unfold, what it did was provide me with some very unique opportunities to kind of restructure the way in which we position ourselves in the industry. And as we got uh, more and more popular and more and more of demand and started getting inquiries to travel out of the country and go and coach and teach and, and workshops and camps and seminars, it just wasn't feasible anymore for me to be able to do the you know, seven in the morning till eight at night coaching. And I know my wife was very happy to know that I was gonna be dialing that back as well but it presented a brand new set of, of, you know, hurdles to be able to overcome because it becomes much more unique. And then it's much more preparation based time spent. So I spend the same amount of time I would prepping for my athletes in person. I realistically have the private athletes that I train here to satisfy the coaching itch. It's to satisfy having people here in person. I, I don't take very many people at once. I keep it kind of exclusive. And I don't like for my local kind of in-person athletes, I don't charge a whole ton. And I'll be honest, because it's not, you know, I I don't necessarily need that income. It's really just about having them in here, keeping that itch satisfied and scratched as a coach. And then they are also very uh, uh, nice to be able to allow me to film them and utilize their experiences and growth as, as content and teachable content at that. So it's a really neat setup. Um, but yes, my background, obviously I, I coached a lot in person and now I've kind of positioned myself to be able to coach as much as I want. And then the focus is now for me specifically on the business side, I, I focus a lot more on our educational wing of project pure athlete, which is that we are the only people uh, on this planet that offer a vertical jump technique certification and coaching certification. So yeah, yeah. we have just over a hundred certified coaches. And that's something that I've really I uh, uh, feel very proud of is to be able to somehow create a framework and a system of what I kind of understood naturally and putting it into something that is communicable and um, effective. Mm. And, so. and it, it's not to say that like someone is like, oh, I'll just like pay 500 bucks for my LLC and mm-hmm. buy like a camera and then just hit record and like just cook <laughs> 10 hours a day. There's so much that goes into it. But mm-hmm. if someone wants to have this entrepreneur owned business on my own boss my own hours mm-hmm. there's routes where it can be just, like you don't have to have a business and a youtube channel you don't have right. to have a business and offer seminars but if someone wants to kind of pursue that route um but yes yeah, definitely some context to like what it has taken to now get a little bit Thank less you. of a of a coaching schedule but um that's a super similar answer to one of my favorite stories i heard on a different podcast so kyle body of driveline Mm-hmm. Um, if people aren't familiar, it's like the data-driven baseball player development that's like li- s- single-handedly changed the game of baseball. 
-hmm. when his business was kind of growing, his business partner said, will you be okay with not coaching anymore and only doing business stuff? And he was like, yeah, I mean, like whenever we, we get there, you know, like I'm sure if it's growing that much, it's like right. three years later, only business stuff for sure. So super cool to hear that. It's a, and it's a lot to stomach, right? I think people don't realize that when you, you've completely put on the business hat, um, I think it's easy to look at something like, let's say Project Pure Athlete from the outside and go, oh, like, oh it's nice. Like it must be cush to be like doing well and, and what have you. But in the reality, they don't, they definitely do not see not only the work that goes into it on a day-to-day -day basis, but the years and years and years of not only putting my time in, uh, you know, for peanuts. I mean, I, I mean, for the first three years of my career, I trained predominantly for free and trained anybody and everybody I could get in front of me. And that's one of the main things I tell to young coaches that come to me for advice. You know, what should I be doing? I'm just starting out. And I said, listen, coach anybody and everybody that you can, your neighbor, your, your, an athlete, if they let you and don't charge anything, just go for it. If you, I mean, if you can charge something, maybe go for it as well. But I think that's something that, that really helps to build resilience and strength of character and kind of shape and, cr and craft the coach and, and teacher you'll become is all of those experiences that you just give. Um, it allows you to really appreciate the process. I mean, if you're into, if you're trying to become a trainer for money, uh, you might want to find a different course of action because you have to unequivocally love this and coaching and teaching so much so that you could do it for free. Very well said. I, I'm not going to try to reiterate that. So next, <laughs> we will get into a, a little bit quick rapid fire. Sure. So the city slash country you are both most looking forward to going back and the city country you are least looking forward to visiting again. Okay, so I'll start with least because I, I, I actually don't think that I can pick any one place that I that I didn't like being, uh, like I wouldn't go back to. And maybe that's the Canadian in me that's just like, I, I like everybody. Too nice. Yeah. <laughs> like I like everybody. However, there are places that I've been that if I never went back, I You'd probably okay. wouldn't yeah. care. Uh, but definitely in terms of revisiting um, would be Moscow, Russia. Mm. Um, we, I was invited there back in 2012 for um, the World 3 on 3 basketball championships. I mean, 3 on 3 basketball in, in Europe and Russia is, is a massive sport, so much so that, I mean, they have half-court stadiums built. You know, there are half courts with bleachers around them and jumbotrons and crane camp. Like it's a huge production. Like why not just make a full court? Right. Well, that's but how it's, big it is. Yeah. It's, it's because the half court rights, the three on three is, is a professional sport on its own. So I was invited as part of the, the dunk contest that was held with the event. And it was at the time, 12 of the best dunkers in the world. And I was like, super grateful to get that phone call. And they're like, we're going to bring you out to Russia, but it's a four total days, meaning that you have a travel day to Russia, which, you know, it's, I don't know if anybody has seen a map before, but you know what I mean? But it's, it's not super close. Yes. And yes. not only that, but you got to get a visa to go to Russia. So it was a big process to go there. Mm -hmm. We show up. Uh, you go to your room. We stayed at the Coliseum in the Olympic Village, right in Moscow. Hey, that's and, and it was, you know, an event that I'd really never, uh, um, like the scope of the event was so big. I'd never participated in something like that before. And we were there the next day we competed. Okay. It started a competition that next day. So it was like warm up, you have jet lag, your legs hurt, you're yeah, heavy. I was, I was, I was going to say, how much does like travel like that? How many inches would that take off your vert, if any? Well, you know what? I, f I feel like there's another uh, question that you have that I can elaborate more on, on that uh, question sure. that you For had sure. there. Okay. So let's not forget 
uh, what Matt just said right there. Okay. All right. All right. Travel. It's definitely right. going to be explained. Travel and <laughs> vert. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we had the competition over the two days and it finished early day three and we were leaving day four. So I only, we only had about four to six hours to explore mm -hmm. Moscow and there's such rich history in Moscow and we just, it didn't do it justice. I mean, I yeah. got to see the Kremlin, which was really cool in the history of the Kremlin to be able to go in it in person was amazing. We went inside a, uh, probably the world's, <laughs> it was looked like the biggest mall I've ever seen. It was about a kilometer long, like the mall itself. And there was a whole area of the mall that was uh, all ping pong tables. And I ended up playing a couple of matches against some Russian like table tennis players. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of a sleeper on the ping pong table. Like that's, I grew up with the table. Mm. I'm, I'm all You're a hustler. I'm a little, I'm a little table tennis hustler. Mm. Most so money played, you've won on ping pong, if any. Uh, most money I've ever won. I actually won uh, 500 bucks on a cruise that I took. And oh my gosh! Believe it or not, that cruise for some reason had I faced in the final. She was about 65 years old at the time, but she was a Chinese national ping pong player. And <laughs> Beating <laughs> up was, on grandmas on cruise ships, right? Jeez, but she, she was she was wiping the field. We were coming up together, and we could watch each other play. She was yeah. so much more skilled than I was, but I think being a little bit more nimble and athletic obviously helped me a lot of respect but yeah i fun fact i made 500 bucks playing ping pong on a oh cruise ship. <laughs> super random uh <laughs> but yeah i played the guys in in russia and, and basically that was the length of what we got to see so if i could go back anywhere it would be to russia just to be able to take in more of the culture more of the city and uh you know have more experiences under my belt so it's a long-winded way of saying uh, moscow russia <laughs> so so both answers yes Gotcha. Yeah. It's, it's tough doing that stuff for like work slash business. Like uh, we had a, I, I played college baseball and we went to Nashville mm -hmm. and like, literally we got like, it was the last day we were there an an afternoon game. So we had like from like 9am to like 1pm in like downtown Nashville. And we were like, I feel like we just like wasted an awesome opportunity. That's it. tough. Yeah. When you're there for like not leisure for sure. Yeah. That's always the case. Like I've had so many trips where you, you essentially just come into the airport and you're like to a hotel and then take off the next morning. So mm -hmm. yeah, there are a bunch of places that I would, if, if given the opportunity, I would go back and, and check out, but Moscow definitely stands out as one that not a lot of people get the opportunity to go there. Fantastic. Next your favorite dunk or mm -hmm. few, because I guess they're all your, your child, I guess <laughs> favorite one or two dunks that you've put down and then the mm -hmm. most cringy dunk. So, so just how like, you think back on your like middle school, high school self, and you cringe at like the dumb stuff you said. Like you look back on that dunk, you're just like, oh, I can't believe I did that in competition. Yeah, yeah, those are good. those are cool questions. Um, let's start with let's. I like to go. Let's get cringe out of the way first, okay? For so sure, for sure. Um, <laughs> and this is also uh, in Russia, okay? So <laughs> we got there. The jet lag was really bad. Um, I also was battling with what I found out later was bronchitis. I didn't realize oh that I was gosh. sick. I knew I felt like my energy was low, but I had the adrenaline. So oh, yeah. it, like it was combating, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I was awake enough and we were warming up before the competition outside the stadium. They had a bunch of courts. I mean, they had hundreds of courts set up outside as well for people to be able to play three on three, but we had a whole court for dunk warmups and we're jumping and getting warm, get my legs fresh, trying to get my head wrapped around the fact that I'm in Russia uh, yesterday. I was at home. And now I'm about to dunk in front of, you know, 5,000 people in oh a stadium. Gosh, yeah. 
So we walk, we get walked in and I mean, there's a jumbotron, it's got your picture and a video playing and your name and they announce you and people, you know, a handful of people will know who I am from the internet. And so it's, it's, it's a stage in terms of the level of competition that I had not yet been on at that point. So it was a bit overwhelming. Um, what was also, the biggest crowd before that? Uh, probably 2000 um, would have been in Montreal for uh, called Urban Jam. And it was a big competition, but this was different. Like it was, I'll say, I can send you some pictures after so you can Sweet. see your video if you want to like uh, snipe it in so people can see what's going on. But yeah, it was definitely a different feeling. I mean, there's crane cameras swooping down as you're coming oh, in. Legit, yeah. It's super legit and, and very intimidating if you're not used to it. And for me, I'm very transparent with my audience about the fact that I, um, I, I manage and deal with like very high anxiety and I have bit for, for most of my life. And as an, an anxious athlete, I had to come up with a lot of strategies to be able to manage high level competition. So unfortunately at that moment, the, we'll call it performance anxiety kicked in. And if you know anything about performance anxiety and explosive reactive movement is that obviously the higher uh, cortisol levels we have obviously affects the neuromusculature of our body to the point where the muscles don't communicate and the nervous system doesn't communicate at the same speed. So you get essentially these dead wobbly legs, even though I felt generally warmed up and I was jumping outside, as soon as I got ultra nervous and anxious, <laughs> they're like, okay, you can warm up now on the court in front of all the people. And I was like the third person to go up for my first dunk. And I throw a lob, which is like a bounce. And then you catch it and dunk it. And I was just going to do a casual jump, one-handed dunk. I do it all the time. It would have been nice and impressive. My head would have been up near the rim and whatever. I throw this lob. I go and approach. I plant to jump. And it's like from the hips down, I turn into a baby giraffe. My legs like just completely crumbled. I didn't go off the ground. I grabbed the ball. I played it off because I'm also a goof and barely good at working a crowd. Yeah, yeah. I do a layup and everybody uh, layups. Laughs. Everybody laughs. International, right? international like, dunk competition. It's like finger roll. Yeah. And I just kind of did a goofy little, little, little layup and I walked back and my, one of my buddies who's a dunker as well, I looked at him and I went, oh, <laughs> just like... I like, I didn't know it was, so I had to like breathe and calm down, but I look back still. And, uh, that's something that sticks out to me as like cringe, the first big stage, my first jump in front of a huge crowd, my legs buckled and I did not even get off the ground. <laughs> so if we have like, if we have like Steph Curry, when he tried to dunk in game and he kind of just slipped, mm -hmm. like, where does that, mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's uh, like 17 light years beyond Steph Curry. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like it's uh, I think him slipping to go up for a dunk might have been a bit more embarrassing, unfortunately, because of the level of athlete he is. Uh, but for me, it was like it was more of a of this shock. I don't think anybody else really ingested it the same way as I did because it kind of looked purposeful. But I knew that I yeah. actually wanted to dunk it and I couldn't. So that, yeah, it left a little bit of a, a, of a sour taste. And, and I was pretty nervous for my first dunk of the competition. Thankfully, it went in. I ended up placing like sixth out of 12. It wasn't great, but it, was, but it was a fun experience. And for being sick and, and pretty yeah. um, overwhelmed by things, I was very happy with even just the experience. So, so that, that was, was your flu game. 
that was my flu game. Yeah, that was my MJ moment. Yeah. Um, however, I didn't win. Uh, so it was like, it was my, it, it was like MJ had the flu, but I was the guy on the bench. Uh, gotcha. Like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's how I felt about it. <laughs> what, uh, what were your favorite dunking shoes? Mm, uh, my favorite ones of all time were the Kobe sixes. Kobe sixes. Um, yeah, Kobe sixes. I went through probably six or seven pairs of those because of how much force I jump with and the speed I jump with, I would peel the the sole of the shoe would like roll back all the time oh my on the on my plant foot. And so I went through a lot of those. Kobe nines were really good. I was pretty much a, a diehard Kobe low cut basketball shoe where they were best for the type of jumper that I was for sure. So for does sure. the the travel slash vert inches, was that part of that story or a different one? The um oh you're talking about like the our our bookmark, yeah. Yeah, that, so that's kind of the story we just went over, which was really like, how does the travel and the jet lag affect you? In that moment, it affected me terribly. Normally, when I would go do like a, a short travel event, whether it was like a little domestic flight or into the US, I was pretty good. I, I'd done so many of those. It was, it was the pageantry of the event combined with the sickness, combined with the travel that really caused that to be an issue. But normally... The travel events went pretty well. I was used to uh, managing the stress and stuff that came along with it and, and being able to get there and show out. So this was just a unique situation for sure, uh, being in another part of the world. Yeah. And your favorite dunk. <clears throat> yeah, this is, I like this one. I was thinking about this this morning. I'm like, I have so many dunks that I've done that I've really loved, but I'm thinking of moments. So I did a, I did a contest in Toronto at a mall and uh they so you know the like a three-tiered mall like three levels yeah open in the have, middle they had that open in the middle center where they have everything that kind of mm -hmm. looks around anyway they set up a court in this kind of open area and it was packed so the, the the bottom level was full of crowd the first second and third level there was people all the way around mm -hmm. looking down but this court was exceptionally small it was only to the three-point line a high school three-point line was as far away as you could get and the sidelines, it wasn't a full three on the sidelines. So it was a very compact, small court. So kind of like your... Kind of like what my home one is right now, yeah. to be perfectly honest. But not to mention that right at the back of the court is where the judges were sitting. So like uh, Mor uh, uh, Morris Peter, so Mo Pete from the Toronto Raptors was there. Like a couple of Raptors were judges. There was like the director of the event was another judge. The Raptors mascot was there. And they're all kind of right at the back of the court. So where the type of jumper I am, I, the, I need a little bit of an approach. I like to get some speed worked up because it just helps me convert and I jump way higher with an approach outside the three-point line. This wasn't the case. You got about two or two and a half steps at your most to get off the ground. And the, and the rim was like a legit 10-foot rim. Some contests you'd luck out and they'd, the rim would be like 9-10 and you could, it would be a nice flashy contest because everybody got a little bit higher and they usually made that for the dunkers, but this was a legit 10 foot rim. There was, you know, a thousand people kind of looking down and a tiny court. And my friend, Justin, who at the time was one of the best dunkers in the world. I'm talking, this guy had like a 50 plus inch vertical jump and he could jump off of like standing still and, and beat a lot of people. So he went before me, he did this big kind of between the legs dunk as his opener dunk and the crowd blew up and I was like, oh crap. So I just kind of said, you know what, let's just get her done. I, I threw the ball off the glass, took two hard steps, jumped. Like I pitched the ball off the glass as if I was trying to throw it through the backboard. It was so hard. It came off like a rocket. I caught it, rode it way back. My whole body was leaning like a Steve Francis 2000 dunk contest where he kind of brought the leg back, brought the arm back. And I punched this dunk 
harder than I punched a dunk in my entire life to that point. The whole place exploded. I turned around. Mo Pete had jumped out of a seat. He was like, it was so, Justin looked at me like, bro, like, what was that? <clears throat> and it was just a good combination of power, jump height, and energy. And that stands out to me as like one of my favorite moments just because of how electric the environment got. It wasn't my most complex dunk by any means, but it was really, really cool. Mm. Love it. Love it. So last kind of uh, rapid fire. So Tyler has two dope sleeves. I admittedly watch all those tattoo shows. Top one, two, kind of three tattoos. And what tattoo is, is next? When, when are you getting inked next? I haven't, uh, I haven't had a sitting in, in quite a while, to be honest. I think the last, so the, one of the, my favorite tattoos is one of the last ones I've, I've received. And I think my favorite ones are the ones that hold very deep meaning to like my family. Uh, I have a lot, like, I mean, to explain the whole thing, basically my left arm is everything that brings me peace. Okay. There's a lot worked in here. I mean, there's a lot of, you can see the theme, a lot of feather, a lot of feathers represent peace and flight. Um, and obviously jumping and, and, and the solace, uh, you know, that comes from jumping to me is very important. I mean, there's a Phoenix on the back of here. There's a snake that wraps all the way through it, which represents health and healing. Uh, so it's a, a very important sleeve. However, on this arm, the, the, my favorite tattoo on this arm is actually on the inside of my arm. And it says, aren't you a little young for full contact? Okay. And now the context to this tattoo is I got it with my brother and growing up, movies were an incredibly important part of our life. We had a, a pretty fractured childhood and, and within the family. And that was one thing that we shared was we could sit down and watch movies. And there was a movie from the eighties called Bloodsport. And it's a Jean-Claude Van Damme martial arts movie that is essentially a rite of passage movie for a lot of 80s babies. And we grew up watching this movie. And it's about an underground martial arts tournament in Japan. And anyway, the main character, Van Damme, is actually representing a real life person, Frank Dukes, who travels to Japan to do this tournament and meets within the first 10 minutes of the movie, meets his ride or die, meets this guy that they become best friends so quickly. And the first two lines that they say to each other of dialogue, they're playing an old arcade game, like a, a fighting game, they're fighting each other. And the, the older Jackson uh, looks to him and goes, aren't you, like he, he finds out he's there for the tournament and goes, aren't you a little young for full contact? And Van Damme turns to him and goes, well, aren't you a little old for video games? So oh. I got, aren't you ah. young for full contact? My brother's hey. younger than me. He got, aren't you a little old for video games on his arm? Mm -hmm. And that was like the most random and meaningful tattoo that my artist at that point had done. He's like, this is so awesome because he loved the movie as well. And he goes, only you guys would come up with a brother tattoo <laughs> from Bloodsport. So that's one for sure. I feel like uh, a compliment like that from a tattoo artist is like epic. Yeah. Think about how many tattoos they've done. And he's my boy. Like, he, so he's done a majority of my work. I've spent so much time with him in the chair, obviously. And, and money. And, and, and money. Thankfully, actually, we've done a lot of service trading because I used to train him a bit. So hey, there you go. Yeah. You got to work your connections when you can. Um, I have a tattoo on my lower leg on the outside of my shin and it's Spanish. Um, and my wife and I got a basically a span. We went to Spain on our honeymoon and we both got a tattoo in Spanish um, were quotes that we each live our life by. So that they are, let's call them our relationship tattoos, but they're not the tacky, you know, get each other's Name, names yeah. or yeah, photos or whatever the heck you do. But my, my tattoo says, the translation is, 
sometimes you must slow down in order to speed up. Mm -hmm. And that's a motto that I've been preaching as part of Project Pirathi for many, many years is perspective, slowing down, seeing the bigger picture and being able to move mm -hmm. at a more consistent pace because of it. Um, so that's a big one for me. And then lastly is on my collarbone. It says, I will always dot, dot, dot. And I got this right before my son was born. And it was basically a pledge to him that I will always do everything in my power to be present and anything he needs from me and just be there for him all the time. So it's kind of three very important points in my life. And, but I love all, I love all my art. I love it yeah. all. Mm. And I can't wait to get more. I'm going to finish up probably my right arm. I'm going to get an Oni mask. This is a Japanese sleeve. So I'm going to get an Oni mask and then it'll all be shaded in as well in black and gray. But I don't know if, if after that, I don't know. We'll take a break. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fantastic. So, oh man, now, now we're in like the, 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 the big, big questions, but, uh, so, oh man, I feel like to get all of these in, I can't ask all of them. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of a rambler too. I apologize. That's probably... quite all right. But like, but it's also the, the, the follow-up questions because often the, the listener is probably like thinking the same questions I am, Yeah, you know, just go with it. So, all right. We are going to, all right, executive decision. I'm the host. Mm -hmm. Next, what is the coolest slash craziest story? So if you're like in a bar and like you're meeting some like old random dude and you're like, oh yeah, I was like a dunker and a volleyball player and I'm a coach, business owner. And he goes, oh my gosh, like I have to bounce in five minutes. But like, what's the coolest thing that's like happened because of that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like this story. I tell this story quite often when people ask me like how, like, how'd you get into dunking? And how did you even know that it was something that you could do? Um, I was finishing up my fourth year of university, uh, track and field athlete. I was a multi-eventer. And uh, I've, I've always had an obsession with dunking since I was a kid. I used to dunk like low goals all the time. And when my friends would go hoop, I'd go dunk for not any other reason, just because it was cool. But I was in track and I was so committed to track that I kind of hadn't played basketball or dunked in such a long time. I finished a practice and I was walking down the track and the basketball courts in the middle of the field house, the basketball team was finishing up their practice and they were all dunking around. So I kind of, you know, half walked over toward them. I'm in like my tights and my running shoes. I look like a track athlete and they're all over there, you know, hooping in there. Swag, that yeah. They get the oversized gear and yeah. whatever. Right. So I'm watching them and I'm, and I'm chirping a little bit because I know a bunch of these guys. And I, and I think I shouted like, don't make me show you what's up. And oh. the, guy's like, the guy's like, the guy's like, don't be about it, man. Let's go. <laughs> so he threw the ball over. And I, I remember thinking, Oh, shit, I haven't dunked a basket. I even tried to dunk a basketball in a lot of years. Well, I also didn't realize that the training I'd been doing for the past year had secretly amplified my vertical quite a bit. And I hadn't jumped off two feet in quite a while. So I, anyway, I threw a lob I, in my running shoes. I took, I took off and I missed the basketball completely, <laughs> but I hit my head on the rim. I went boop and I hit my head and I came down and I was holding my head. Five guys like cooked it out of the gym screaming and me being me, I was like, I'm so, <laughs> oops, I'm sorry. I missed the ball. I, I was embarrassed. But yeah. they're the guys like, no, like you realize what you just did. And I was like, uh, he's like, you hit your head on the rim. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, but you guys can do that. But that's normal stuff. But, and I kind of <laughs> thought it was like more normal than it was. Maybe I thought because there were basketball players, like they could just do that naturally. And they're like, there is nobody on our team that can jump anywhere near that high. So I had this kind of light bulb moment of, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a better jumper than I thought as a track athlete. I was a pretty good high jumper, pretty good long jumper, but it's all one foot jumping. Mm -hmm. I jumped much more competently off two. 
So I just realized that I, I jumped really high and, and that was the moment I realized that I needed to record some dunks and put them online. And the rest is history. I got contacted by the owner of a professional team and brought down to Florida to, to do a, a photo, uh, kind of video shoots. And I started doing contests from there, but that, that was, that's my favorite story for sure. Because those guys from then on were my hype men. They used to, you know, anytime they saw me, they're like, this guy, you can see this guy jump. It's crazy. And I had to just work to get better at dunking from there. Yeah, it was cool. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, so next, so graduate traveling the world, dunking, volleyball, et cetera, et cetera. When did it cross your mind where it's like career is kind of ending? I like this coaching education thing. I have to go all in slash like thought process to then like your first day as like an entrepreneur, like you are solely responsible for you and everyone around you's well-being with how your business does. Yeah. Uh, okay. So full transparency. I always, like I, I was trained, I started training when I was 19. Okay. <clears throat> I'm 38 this year. Uh, so this is my 19th year. I, I did it kind of as a, as a side gig for a long time while I was going through school. And then I became a teacher. So I taught grade school for a few years while I was training on the side and kind of really quickly realized that I was making about the same amount of money that I was training, that I was being a teacher. Mm. And I started, the wheels started turning, but I was with, so I was, I've been married before. So I got married young and my wife at the time was much more concerned about like a stable nine to five job. Mm. And I fought myself for many years. Like I, I tried to do the nine to five. I realized pretty quickly that I was like a shitty employee for other people because I just, I really have always kind of marched to the beat of my own drum. Uh, I, I would feel like I'd had better ideas and no one would listen and they wouldn't give me the response. And I was like, okay. So when her and I split immediately as we split a flip or switch flipped in my head. And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to do it. Like this is the exact moment that it needs to happen. And that was back in 2013. 2013, I, I just was like, I'm going to do it full time. And it was the best decision I ever made. It, I mean, not all easy by any means, but in terms of the, uh, the freedom and in terms of the, the amount of like catharsis it provided for me in the moment was exceptional. It was such a good decision. So yeah, 2013, uh, splitting up with my ex, that's when it all happened. I just converted and said, you know what, we'll just make it, we'll make it work. We'll make you it work. Do you remember the first morning you like woke up and you were like, I guess I get to do like whatever I want. Like, all right, I get, let's do it. Yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, I, I remember everything very vividly. Um, I, <laughs> I think I spent the very first day doing nothing. <laughs> I think the first day that I woke up, um, you know, from the, from the relationship to this change, I just was like, I can, I'm going to do nothing today and be Ooh. okay with it. Ooh. And, and just have this be a day for me. And then it was like the day following it, mm. I had used the, we'll call it the nothing day, but it was a lot of, um, you know, introspection and a lot of thought. And it was like the next day I was so fired up to go. I mean, I was, uh, I was doing that. I was calling up people that I had trained before. I, I was putting free events together at local parks. I was, like anything and everything I could do. Uh, and then eventually as, as Instagram became a thing, that's really when things started to take off was when I started to understand the power of Instagram. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sweet, sweet. We will get to that later, a little foreshadow. So foreshadow. next, I would assume that in every business owner, entrepreneur's journey, 
there's also an opportunity when it, you know, almost declared for bankruptcy or just almost had to like go back to the nine to five. So mm-hmm. is there one of those moments where it was like one more day and it would have all had to, to end? I don't know if I've ever been to the point where it's like, I have one day left type of type of scenario. However, there have been moments throughout the journey where um, I've had to pivot on my strategy and there's a lot riding on that. I think the biggest one and the most recent one was the pandemic. And even though we were set up digitally online, our business model slightly changed at that point. And also uh, the in-person stuff that I had at that point, you couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. So it was everything got leveraged into the online space. And we also subsequently made a lot of larger investments that year to try to beef up our presence and beef up our, our um, kind of um, framework online. So it was the combination of, of the uncertainty of what the pandemic would do from a, an economical standpoint to our customer base. And secondarily, what type of impact the investment would have on us from a, from a bottom line standpoint during that whole thing. But it was, you know, we, my partner and I, we kind of just looked at each other and said, we're going to do it. We got to do it. Let's just do it now. Like it doesn't make any sense not to do it now. And uh, yeah, we're still from that continuing to grow and, and, and recoup certain things and, and expand. So, you know, it's, it's always, I think a little bit of an underlying feeling, especially coming from not much and then having, we'll call it a bit of success is there's always a baseline fear of, of something being removed from you and taken from you or failing and that fear of failure. But you know, it's that kind of famous saying, right? If your desire to succeed must always outweigh your fear of failure. And that is the, the kind of underpinnings of, of the rise to where I'm at right now and the continued um, steps that I want to take to be more influential to more athletes and more coaches. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's, it's, it's crazy to, to think back. So even in my young 25 year old kind of journey, like college baseball, walking on to getting a full-time GA to then being a coach and COVID and all of the things I've kind of done only in like three years of full-time coaching, mm-hmm. looking back, it's like no particular moment was like crazy in and of itself. It was just like opportunities. And then like, looking back, I was like, I guess I kind of just somehow made it happen, I guess. So I think there's so much to be said about like, just making something happen. And like, if it's on the right path ish, you know, so I I definitely like how you reframe that to more of a a pivot and just making it happen. Um, Right. I I think that that's a super interesting, like, take. You know, it's a, and and you're hundred percent right. I think the, an analogy that I've always kind of understood, especially with the rhythm of, of business and the evolution of something like a brand or a business. For me, it was, and again, maybe we'll dive into this later, but it was, there was a wave that started. And as that wave started to crest, it created a lot of momentum. And my inclination was always, I have to ride this wave. Mm-hmm. I have to ride it wherever it decides to crash into or, or whatever it decides to do, I have to ride it. And if you know anything about waves is that they break at different times and you can grab a new one, but ideally the momentum is always taking you towards some sort of result or end result. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, it was, you know, waves happen. You, I think you ride them and you seek the opportunity and you just grasp whatever you can and not be afraid to disperse from that wave and wait for a new one and ride it wherever it goes. So mm-hmm. no, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like knowing that you're going relatively all in, but then being okay with all right to the shore I'll dip, you know, yes, super interesting, but analogy, but makes total sense for sure. So next, I guess that leads nicely. So 
you've uh, you have a, a nice little quote speaking about becoming a multi-event athlete and how just like the skill acquisition gets your brain going and it's like, Oh, well I can be competitive. I can work on literally multiple skills. Mm. And I feel like just having a practice where, you know, it's going to be like six 30 minute segments of just like different things. Mm. So what connections are like, how does that satisfy your brain of like having multiple hats mm -hmm. for a total eye, eye roll worthy quote of an entrepreneur or like a, a reference of a, a business owner. Yeah. How, does like that suit you well, knowing that that's kind of how your brain works? I think that was a, I read that question that you put down and I was like, what an interesting like bridge. And I think it, it makes perfect sense, right? I've always been, as you mentioned, someone that has thrived on the pursuit of skill acquisition any in, in any means, right? Whether it's from an athletic standpoint or just from a personal, we'll call it passion standpoint. I mean, my wife makes fun of me that it's like, I have a brand new thing I'm in love with every six months. <laughs> and it could be, it can be anything from, you know, astrophysics to cooking or whatever it is. Like I just, I love to consume, uh, I guess we'll call it random uh, information and, and try to adopt new skills. So with being a business owner and having to wear, we'll say multiple hats, I, I do believe that I was prepared in the sense that I was open to learn whatever I needed to learn to make it work. And along the way, found some things that actually became, you know, side passions for me as well. Something like video editing and working with, you know, the creative side of, of content creation. I didn't realize that I would enjoy it so much and had to learn. And with social media, you have to learn how this beast of social media even functions and how to, you know, work with the, the, the ever so evolving algorithm. Oh and my gosh. The, to reach people. The ultimately at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We just like, listen, what we have to say, I believe what I have to say is important and I want it to as many people as possible. But then you see this meme go ultra viral that has literally no purpose to anyone's life other than like a quick little, <laughs> and then it's a delete, right. Or what uh -huh. have you. And I'm sitting here going, I have gems. I have things that athletes will listen to and thrive from yet we're being suppressed and it's not coming out. So yeah, learning all that stuff, but definitely from the skill acquisition acquisition standpoint, it was a huge uh, strength to be able to move into entrepreneur lifestyle, knowing already that I enjoyed multiple things and I enjoyed the process of, of learning new things. As, as I'm trying to figure out kind of like what's, what's next, where do I want to take my career at least for the next kind of step not to get too like meta but i enjoyed my time at tcu doing like college sports science but it's like if i got back with the college and i've applied to like 90 college jobs i was like if that was like the only thing i did mm -hmm. like i love wake up podcast then edit a video and then go coach and then like that and all stuff i was like i couldn't imagine not doing that like I, I was talking to, uh, I forgot who it was. I was like, I post three TikToks and Insta a tweet every single day. And that's like, I love like just bouncing and all stuff. So it's like getting out of the, the, the nine to five, like thoughts of going back, like how, how like awful does that sound? I, uh, I get asked this all the time. Like, why don't you coach for a university or a professional mm -hmm. team? And it's exactly what I mentioned before. Like, I don't, think I necessarily work well within the confines of a, of a, we'll call it an institutionalized framework, a something box, that is, yes. a we, box we, right? We use that term a lot. Yeah. Right. My, the, my mentor the, and I. Right. Inside that box where there's a, where there's a perimeter and a framework at which you need to exist within from a, both a, an execution standpoint and a political standpoint mm -hmm. uh, from the private sector 
I have freedom to be able to express what I feel is most effective. And as a result, I can influence those that do coach at a collegiate and professional level. And to me, that satisfies that side of things. I'm also an individual who like, I obviously respect and love what athletics and sports have done for me and provided for me in terms of opportunity. But in my free time as a person, as an individual, like I, I like my, my day off and my relaxation is like, I don't sit down and watch sports very often. I'm not super into the, uh, like into sports beyond what I do. And I don't know whether that's by design or whether it's by necessity. I think that I need that separation so that when I come in and do my job, uh, I feel very motivated. I get overwhelmed by doing, I, I guess it's from, you know, what I said before, every six months, I have a new thing that I'm involved in, or that I'm interested in, is when I do one thing for any length of time, I, I very quickly lose the fire for it. And I'm not sure maybe that's just who I, I totally am. agree. Person, yeah. Right. And so this scratches more itches than, than something like being in a, at a university. Those jobs are incredibly challenging and getting a head strength and conditioning coach at a university. I mean, I know uh, many individuals that coach at that level and you ultimately start getting separated again from coaching when you hit those positions, because you have a staff of individuals that work under you. You oversee more the, the operational side of the athletic training you know, uh, department and get to coach every now and then. But I like this, I can coach uh, at the front lines. I can step back and make content that is helpful to many people. I can create educational programs and I can travel and I don't have to worry about saying, Oh, I need to take vacation to travel. I just go, I'm going to be gone. And that's just how it is. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, um, and it's, it's not to, to completely like crap on college right um every job has positive challenges negative challenges and fulfillments agreed just the positive challenges of getting to decide whatever you want to do and the challenge of being your own boss you know and, and the fulfillments of like i can scratch that itch like i can literally pick something up and drop it and go right. do something else you know like they're different Mm-hmm. Not that I've become, so my last episode, this will be 134, 133 was my roommate and I, who was a college strength coach now private. Mm-hmm. Um, some feedback was like, it can't, it came off very compliment, complimentary feedback, but it came off as kind of pro private side. It's like, well, we're both currently private. So whatever, but right. not that I'm like different challenges, but yeah, these are the ones that we both enjoy about more private ish type stuff. Yeah, it makes, I, I think that you, you fit the bill for what you fit the bill for. Mm-hmm. And some people thrive in the rhythm of being in a collegiate program and like the structure, like the framework and like the stability that comes along with a position like that. I think being in the private sector has a prerequisite of also being a little bit good with the potential of instability. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think there's, there's a certain amount of quality as, a, as, a, as an individual that puts you into column A or column B. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not the... You know, I love to, I I like to program, like I do enjoy it, but I've done it for so many years that like I, I, my partner programs the majority of our stuff because he enjoys the more detail oriented sports science side of things where I enjoy a little bit more of the, the art of coaching. I like the, the psychology behind coaching. I love the connection with an athlete and how to get the most out of an athlete. I spend more of my time on the educational side versus the intricate sports science detail um, side of things. And that's, I'm, I'm happy and, and very fortunate to be able to do what I enjoy within the confines of our business. That's a, a much better way of comparing and contrasting than, than my, whatever. Anyways, two more big questions. Okay. 
the content creation journey. So you've referenced a few times how impactful that has kind of been. So maybe because people don't typically share um, when social media and content creation becomes like legit part of a business and income, whatever it may be, because like I picked up podcasting. It's like, oh, I've always wanted to. So why not? And like, I have a camera and like, I, I want to learn how to like edit videos. But eventually that like dopamine, I guess, of like a new skill goes right. away. And like, I always say, eventually I have to be making money, not necessarily for to make money, but for it to be valuable for me. Because first it was the skill acquisition. It was new. It was mm -hmm. just like fun and just like seeing myself progress. But like now, like it, it has to be valuable for me in different ways. So like, I guess from a business and a growth st standpoint, but then a growth standpoint first, and then next, like businessy, like how did, long did it take to become kind of uh, more legit than like picking it up as like just a skill, if that kind of makes sense. So from the from the content creation standpoint mm -hmm. is what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I had, I think we'll start by the, you know, where I kind of began with the whole social media side of things. I mean, I think YouTube was obviously the, the, the very first thing back in, in the early 2000s and understanding what it could do in terms of exposure. Um, YouTube at that point was, you know, at, you know, here's a one exercise to improve your vertical jump and it, it, you kind of fall by a framework that you see work. But it wasn't until Instagram that I realized that what I had specifically as a strength and a skill could be eventually monetized through the content creation side of things. So I had an Instagram, few thousand people on it. It was really just, uh, they were more fans from like the dunking times. They followed me into my Instagram. I was training athletes, but I was posting the things that I thought you're supposed to post as a trainer, my athletes squatting and doing some plyometrics and, you know, and, and they get three, four hundred, a thousand views. And I had this kind of constant, you know, few thousand uh, follower base. And it was one day I decided to take a chance and post a video of one of my volleyball girls jumping and basically in the caption. So it was a side angle jump of her doing an approach in slow motion. And she had jumped three and a half inches higher in that first session we were together. And I was doing with her what I've done with athletes for many years, which is jump technique intervention. And I'm like, I wonder if I always thought that nobody would be interested in it. I don't know why I was just like, maybe nobody will really care about technique because it's technique and it's like, you kind of have to be detailed, but I said, screw it. I'm going to post it. I posted the video. I made a caption that talked about the nomenclature uh, involved in what I was discussing and the penultimate stride and, and lowering your center of mass and managing your contact points and all these things that I've just done <clears throat> and tried to articulate it in the best way I could. And that video in a week did about a half a million views. And my channel went from 3,000 to 10,000 in. Oh my, on Instagram. So on Instagram. And that was That's way harder versus like TikTok or, correct. yeah. Correct. So I went to about three to 10,000. And this was about five years ago. Um, and I said, oh, maybe people like this. So I did another one. And then the comments were, what is this stuff? Where do I, like, where did you learn this? Like, how do I learn this? And my answer would always be, well, like I didn't learn it anywhere per, per se. Like I kind of, it evolved as me understanding. So I, in track and field, jump technique is a part of jumps. Like that's how people learn to jump. Mm -hmm. And the terminology was essentially sourced from track and field, but then applied to the world of two foot jumping because there was really nothing being done in the two foot jumping space in terms of jump technique. I mean, I, I scoured the internet looking for anything and I, it was basically what I was doing was what it was. 
So once this started to roll out, I mean, I was at 20,000 followers within the first six weeks. I hit like, it was like 30, then 40, and it was continuing to grow. And I was doing jump breakdowns. I would take an athlete and I would narrate over top of it and, and talk about these concepts that I've always talked about. And it just kind of, that wave started. I rode that wave. I dug in and said, listen, like I will be the expert in vertical jump technique. And my goal now is to be the industry standard when it comes to the methodologies. And now the methods that we use are utilized across the world by multiple coaches and multiple athletes and clubs at professional levels. And we're flown all over the place to teach people how to do this. And still to this day, it, it is such a humbling experience to watch somebody jump, 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 miss, miss, miss. And then I get to coach them knowing that they're fully up, like they're to the max of what they can do. And I can say like two words to them and watch them touch a couple inches higher right in front of my eyes. Yeah. And that is an incredibly empowering feeling as a coach, but then as an athlete, what an incredible like buy-in experience. This, like this guy said like three words to me and I jumped higher than I've ever jumped before. Um, so it was a great proof of concept. And, and from a, from a content creation standpoint, it was, it was take a chance um, create momentum, thankfully, and ride it and just keep, like you said, like I was saying before, you just ride whatever wave keeps coming in and follow wherever it goes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So jump guy, Ty has 16 K on Insta project pure athlete, one Oh one K and YouTube 42,000, which is not a, a simple feat does not happen just overnight. Well, kind of overnight, but not only overnight for sure. Yeah. The YouTube was funny. Like the YouTube actually grew during the pandemic when I was like, I had more time on my hands. So I decided to do a couple reaction videos. Those are your biggest videos. They, and they randomly just like, I have a great amount of long form teaching content on there mm -hmm. that probably in terms of uh, usefulness is immense. Mm -hmm. But then I have, I reacted to Cristiano Ronaldo highlights and it's got a couple million views. on Yeah. It. That's um, your, yeah. I'm going, what? No, I no, no, no. Watch, watch the, the educational stuff. Not like it, yeah. the listener does not know what they want. And it's so frustrating. I just realized what it was for though. And I realized the strength of, of what the reactions could do. And I started viewing my YouTube channel as a funnel and casting a big net to popular videos, bringing people into that second layer, giving them exposure. And then ultimately the core of my, of my follower base, the ones that really were there for, for me and what I had to say, were going to be the customers at the end of the day. So it was, uh, yeah, using it as a net and a funnel. And it made a lot of sense after a while, for a while. All of the analogies. I love it. I love it. Last, finally, I can get an answer from someone. Okay. What software do you use where you, where you can speak and draw the arrows and, and slow-mo and uh, frame by frame, all that stuff? So the, the one I use is called Coach's Eye. Coach's and Coach's Eye I've had for, for many, many years. For some reason, it, I'm not certain if it's available to download anymore. I, I looked in the app store and I couldn't find it. There's another one called, uh, is it Hudel? I think it's a, a Norwegian company, H-U-D-L, but that allows you to do the same thing. I like Coach's Eye because you can use arrow, you can highlight areas, you can zoom in, you can, mm. but yeah, Coach's Eye is what I use. And it makes it very convenient to be able to import a video, narrate over it very, very quickly export it, upload it to Instagram and it's there. Um, the, the breakdown videos don't do quite as well anymore um, on Project Pure Athlete. Um, Project Pure Athlete now thrives more on like, I use it to feature other athletes a lot. I said, once I grow an audience, I will always use my platform to give athletes shine uh, and other coaches shine. So when I find a coach that I really like, I'll post about them on my stories and say, make sure you check them out. Like at the end of the day, we want people just to be better. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just like coaches athlete on an iPad? 
Uh, what's that? Coach's eye on an iPad? Yeah. I do it on my phone. Oh, phone. Okay. I do it on my phone. And when I have athletes in the gym, what I do is, so behind me is kind of my, 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 there's a big TV and stuff there is I'll just cast it to the TV and I'll do my breakdowns in front of them so they can see it. I use that TV for other things like velocity software that I'll cast while they lift. And, and so it's, it's neat to have, I wanted this to feel like a lab. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So next perfect segue. It's almost like you knew what questions I was going to be asking. Hey, (laughs) so, so last big, last big question. Mm -hmm. So you recently renovated your home. Your background is this awesome half quarter court hoop in your basement. So as a a businessman, Hey, there we go. Yeah. It looks sweet. Oh, you got the nice light. Got the gorilla pod. Yeah. So I, I have my, my light, not going to expose my bedroom. Not that I'm in my bedroom right now, but <laughs> what was the thought process of what if I had something in my basement to then like looking up quotes to then pulling the trigger to then like the first thing being delivered to it being officially done. Okay. So um, a little bit more context. So it's actually not in my basement. Okay. So this gym uh, was built off the back of my brand new house. We just oh, built a home. So this is not, a, it's, it was all built as one. So okay. the, the plans, the blueprints of our, our new build that we just moved into included a thousand square foot gym built off the back of the house. Okay. So if like to my left right now is my door, it's an exterior door with glass and it walks into my kitchen and it's literally off the back of my wow. house. And uh, yeah, it, I mean, it was, it made sense. We obviously wanted to move. Um, the opportunity came up to buy a piece of land. And then the opportunity came up to have some help through a family friend to, to build a home. And I said, it needs to include the business. I work from home primarily. I was working out of like a detached garage before about 400 square feet, uh, which is a fun little space. Uh, but I said, I need something more substantial. I want as high a ceiling as I possibly can get. So we have 20 foot ceilings in here. And I can see up here, there's a big giant fan spinning above me. Uh, And then it was trying to kind of bring to life what I'd always envisioned since being young. And when I was a kid, I had a buddy who had a sunken garage that had a basketball net in his garage. And we used to shoot around in the winter. And I said, that was so cool that you have a basketball net in your house. And I said, when I grow up, I want to have a basketball net in my house. That's when you make it. He, and he laughed at me and I remember my family and everybody along the way, I had a lot of pushback, man. Like people didn't think I'd make any money ever doing, teaching people how to jump. Like my parents were very traditional uh, family, you know, ex relationships. Everybody was like, you, this is such a waste of your time. And I just couldn't do anything different. And I said, I'm just going to make it happen. I want to do it partly. <laughs> Most of it was intrinsically driven, obviously, but there was a certain part of me that wanted to kind of say, I told you I could. Yeah. In spite. Yeah. I think we all, I think we all have that a little bit where it's like, I want to prove people wrong, but Mm. also show people it's possible. Mm. And yeah, I mean, once we got the new house plans drawn up and the house started going up and I saw the foundation built for my new gym, my, my head had nearly exploded. And I went, Oh, this is actually happening. And now I'm sitting in my (laughs) own private facility on our house by the lake. And I'm so incredibly grateful for the the success that I've been able to acquire to allow me to do this. Um, But most importantly is to be able to provide a life for my family um, that perhaps, you know, I didn't have and, and, but also teach the lessons to my child that this isn't normal. (laughs) I want him to know that what he's growing up in isn't the norm so that he has respect for the process and, learns to make his own decisions and acquire his own success. Um, so yeah, listen, I, I kind of lose words when I talk about this because I'm still 
very much in shock that I was, I sometimes feel like someone's going to come in here and tell me that I have to leave now. <laughs> I, I mean, I grew up in like shoe boxes of homes, like very small homes. My last house was 650, 700 square feet. I mean, our, our, it's about the same size as like our bedroom suite, which is like blows my mind. And so to be able to do this is, is um, incredibly, incredibly powerful. From a so, so with, with that being said, I'm excited that we were able to go behind the curtains and like on social media, oh, this guy has a, a hoop in his house and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. But it's like all the 60 hour weeks, all the plane rides across the world, all of the free seminars and parks, all of, like it doesn't happen overnight. And I feel like that's, that's the, the hardest part for me is like a, a young content creator coach is like, how many 25 year olds am I like consuming is like really, really good coaches, like right. none, you know? So it right. takes a, a crap ton of time, but you had a lot of focus slash direction, but also pivots on the waves and stuff. So super, super cool that like the X's and O's bring us together, right? The jumping, the coaching, right. but it's not really what it's about. But take a step back. Mm-hmm. If we didn't talk about jumping at all, I mm-hmm. feel like that wouldn't do yeah, any, yeah. Any Listen, I so, expect it. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah. So, let's so, so let's end with some action steps. So, instead of advice for the listener about like getting better and like that mm-hmm. stuff, if if it's one cue, one exercise, one, two, three things that like mm-hmm. they can literally go do in their next workout, not myself, you know, but what would that like just one, two quick snippets if you could offer? I know that like jumping is obviously very complex, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. just one, two quick drills, cues what would it be okay i'm gonna go uh, a route that is probably the less uh common route which is not to give you like a specific exercise per se because i feel like you can google an exercise and grab it in a second um from from a from a jumping skill standpoint okay the the idea that jumping on its own is a very complex um, system uh, of movements that integrate together i think one of the most common errors i see with athletes trying to jump their highest is approaching with too much speed for their current stability and positional um, level. So if you come in with too much speed, our body's a phenomenal uh, system that it will auto-regulate that speed and actually slow you down to the point of takeoff to basically find what we call our maximum controlled velocity or our MCV. So nine times out of 10, when I get athletes to jump higher on the spot is I either shorten the approach or I slow them down at the beginning of the approach so that they can accelerate through their takeoff, not to the point of takeoff. We want to be getting quicker through the last two contacts in combination with keeping our center of mass slightly back over what's called our plant foot. So when you jump off two feet, there's two contacts that happen, correct? Uh, you're either a right-left jumper or perhaps a left-right jumper. The first of the two contacts is your plant foot. The last of the two contacts is called your block foot. Plant equals power. It's a pushing mechanism. Block equals break. It's a redirector. It basically serves as an eccentric redirection. So if we combine smooth acceleration through contact, with keeping our weight back over our plant foot primarily and allowing the block to actually cause the redirection versus jumping off the block foot, you will jump higher every single time. Now, that being said, it's a very quick little snippet. There are interventions that take place to make this happen. Obviously, you got to learn and pattern. That's why, you know, I've put together 
multiple programs for Jump Technique and progression. Um, our remote platform, Jump Technique, is woven into all of our strength training so that you progress strength power with technique so that you don't end up basically getting stronger, more powerful, and then opening the, uh, the gap of inefficiency even more. We want to bring them both up together. So if I can give any useful piece of advice, it's uh, slow down, accelerate through the, the last portion of your jump, try to keep your weight a little bit further back onto that leg and, uh, and, and attack all the way through toe off, right? Smooth, we call relaxed aggression. Mm -hmm. Smooth and powerful. Yep. Same, same with powerful. sprinting. For yeah. Sure. You can't, can't muscle sprinting mm -hmm. and you can't muscle jumping the best jumpers and sprinters in the world. When you watch them, it looks, it looks effortless. effortless. Yeah. And, but what they do really well is they control their, uh -huh. their, the relationships between their mass and their feet and their arms very, very well. They don't get out of control. They stay controlled. Mm -hmm. this, this hour plus long podcast, only five minutes of jumping. This is ridiculous, man. Hey man I could, <laughs> I could do, I could, well, I mean, I teach courses on it. I can do two full days. Perfect. Oh my gosh. It's almost like you knew what was next again. So thank you very much, sir, for your stories, your time, your candidness for sure. So next roll up this red velvet carpet, shameless emphasis on shameless plugs. Where can people find you? Socials, YouTubes, courses, the, the, the mic is yours. Yeah, I appreciate that. So number one, I would say start with uh, the Instagram. Definitely come and make sure you follow both Project Pure Athlete and Jump Guy Ty. My partner also has an Instagram, Jump Guy Chase, and he provides great content as well. Uh, but that's a great place to start for consuming free content at content as well as our YouTube channel for longer form things. From there, obviously, we provide a lot of products and services. So uh, if you're on a little bit of a tighter budget, we have kind of the, the classic PDF ebook type of programs with hyperlinked videos in there. They're like the 12, the classic kind of 12 week programs, anything that you, you grab in terms of program, I would always pair it with the missing link jump technique program. So I built the missing link to work in conjunction with any strength conditioning program as a complement to basically amplify your results. It's, it's creating more efficiency alongside of creating more strength and power. Uh, also have a remote training platform. So if you want more comprehensive program streams built out over months with coaching support, that's something that uh, if you come over to Instagram and inquire through DM, I'll send you all the information on that as well. Um, and then at the end of the day, we have coaching set, we have coaching courses. So if you're looking, if you're a coach or if you're a club owner or even an athlete and want to dive into understanding jumping at a completely different level, we have our Project Pure Athlete Level 1 coaching course, which is going in-depth to the philosophy of jump technique and how to assess, analyze, and provide intervention for athletes to be able to jump higher on the spot. So lots of stuff going on. We're lots of stuff. You can hire us and contract us to come to camps and workshops. But at the end of the day, start with the Instagram, ask questions, and I will make sure I you know, traffic direct you in the right direction. Epic, epic. Awesome. <laughs> so thank you again. Already one of my favorites. I haven't hey. even edited for sure. Let's and uh, thank you. And maybe you'll come out to TC Boost. We'll Listen, see. I'm, I'm open to come anywhere and everywhere. If, there, if there's a need for the jump guy to be around, I'll be there. All right. Fantastic. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to chatting next. Beautiful.